Our sermon passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. This is God's Word, good, beautiful, and true. The words of the Apostle Paul. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in it you show us who you are and thus who we are in you. So in these moments, speak to us by your spirit with the good news of your love for us. Seal it to our hearts, God. Open the eyes of our hearts to see who you are in Christ. And change our hearts. Point us toward him. And found us in the worthiness that we have in him. In Jesus' name. Living in our world in a lot of ways, and I think I've said this before, so pardon if I have. Living in our world is like walking in and out of different courtrooms that are passing verdicts on us. Kind of constantly. Kind of constantly. If you need any proof of that, uh, we've got a couple of different ones, but uh, uh, daytime TV is what I always say. you ever bored and you just turn on daytime television in the middle of the afternoon, like, there's like a 60% chance you're going to land on court TV, right? Yeah. The biggest court TV for the longest time was Judge Judy. And at the height of Judge Judy's popularity, a pop, uh, the number of people that watched Judge Judy every day, I mean middle afternoon, was like the population in North Carolina. Millions upon millions upon millions of people. And she made more money than Oprah because of what she did. But what is court TV? We tune in and it's people in the worst kind of situations and moments of their lives airing their dirty laundry in front of everybody and we when we tune into court tv you know what we really want we want judge judy to dress these people down we want judge judy to tell these people what's up right and we want to go well that's good i didn't steal from my cousin right or whatever the situation is or not just judge judy think of dr phil dr phil under the pretense that's even worse he pretends he's helping people by giving them private counseling in front of millions of people. It's the worst thing in their hearts, and he's dragging it out for everybody to see. And what's going on? We watch it because we kind of want Dr. Phil to do the thing, well, how's that working out for you? We want him to say it. We want him to kind of shame them. We want to judge them. And that's true of Mari. That's true of Jerry Springer. I can just keep listening. They so that's maybe exhibit one, if we're pretending that's a courtroom, but Think of one of the clearest evidences, I think, of how, uh, of how we inhabit courtrooms in our day-to-day -day life. Think about how you feel when you walk into a place or when you encounter people. Think about how you feel when you walk into I walk into a new place and suddenly, like, I have great posture. Like, I was here an hour ago by myself and I'm putting bulletins out and everything, but I'm probably slumped over and whatever. First people start to come in, I stand up straight, I suck in my gut. Why? I make sure my collar's right. I and mean, this collar's terrible. It's driving me nuts because I can watch it on the <laughs> video there. Um, but what's going on? I want to look put together. I don't want to look like I got up and just found the only shirt that didn't have incredible wrinkles and all that stuff. I want to look very put together. Why? Because I know the reality of the courtroom of other people's opinions. And part of the reason I know that is because how I've judged other people on the same things. It's true. And I'm not talking about distant past. 
feel when you look in a mirror? I don't think there's too many of us that look in the mirror and say, man, I look really great today. We look in the mirror and the first thing we're finding is every pimple, every out of place hair, we're looking at our eyebrows, we're looking at everything and we're like, man, this is a mess. I gotta fix this, right? What's going on? You're looking in the mirror and you're immediately judging yourself. Now I'm not saying like, don't comb your hair. That's fine. It's not a bad thing. But right? It's a courtroom. We're passing a verdict on ourselves. And it's worse for some of us than others. It's worse in life if you're super tall or you're super short. If you're skinnier than normal or you're, you're wider than normal. Especially if you're a girl or a woman. You're constantly scrutinized by how you look and what you're wearing, etc., etc. And now I'm just talking about how we look. This isn't even getting into the courtrooms of how we're judged on what we do. We're constantly judged in that. Think about sports. We literally hand out trophies based on performance. Right? In sports, you're valued on how successful you are as an athlete. In school, you're graded on how well you can basically regurgitate information for a test. At work. Now, I'm not saying all these are bad things. I'm not saying get rid of competition or whatever, but this gets exhausting. It gets exhausting to walk in and out of courtrooms constantly, to be judged constantly, right? It's exhausting. We're moving in, out of, in and out of this, verdicts on our shoulders constantly. It wears us out, and I think we're looking for somewhere where we can relax our shoulders, take a deep breath, unclench our jaw, and know we're loved, period. To know we don't have to perform. That there's a place we can land where we don't have to point to our trophies or our lack of them. We don't have to point to our GPA or how high or low it may be. Where we can know we are home, where we are loved. Last week we talked about the events of the gospel. How through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God has brought forgiveness, transformation, and hope to our world. And that's the good news of a victory accomplished by Jesus for us, something we don't contribute anything to, something that God does, and that the gospel is the announcement of this victory. It has been accomplished for us. And the announcement of this good news is not good advice about how to be good people, which is what a lot of churches have for folks, just good advice, or just you shouldn't have done this in the first place, that the gospel is good News of the victory. The announcement of the gospel that Jesus has made a place for us with Him where we can relax our shoulders, where we can take that deep breath and unclench our jaw and know that we are loved. And that's what the church is supposed to be. This is a bit of an aside. That's what the church community is supposed to be. Not a place that fills your calendar up with a lot of social things to do. That's fun. I love being with you folks. So the more stuff on the calendar, the better. Calendar, the better. But the church is not meant to, to give you a place to hang out with other people. You can find that kind of anywhere. The church is meant to be the community that could not exist anywhere else in the world. The community that could not exist apart from the gospel. The community where you walk in the door and it's not you being judged on how great you did at work or school in sports, not on how great your hair looks or what you're wearing, where you're seen and known in your love. That's what the church is supposed to do. 
So we talked about the gospel events last week, and what we're going to do the next few weeks is to talk about how the gospel is good news for us, how God applies the victory that Jesus has won. And this week we're going to look at how the gospel is good news of a new record before God, that we're forgiven of sin and we're declared righteous because of Jesus' work on our behalf, that in place of our bad records, the truth of our sinfulness, God invites us to not live under the verdict of our own hearts, the verdict of other people against us, but to live under the verdict of Jesus. To live under the verdict of Jesus. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other verdicts that we tend to live on. Paul touches on them in 1 Corinthians, which we just ran. The first one's this, the courtroom of other people's opinions. The courtroom of other people's opinions. So we've been reading from 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians is a fascinating book in the New Testament. It was written in a time of crisis. Paul didn't sit down at his very nice desk in his very nice office and say, I'm going to write this theological paper. And no, it was an incredible crisis. What had happened? He had planted this church in a city called Corinth. He had been there a year and a half. He had built this community, or God had worked through him to build this new community of the church. He was there a year and a half and he moved on to the next calling that he had to go to the next city. Well, very soon after that, he got a report that things had really gone sideways very quickly. An idea in that church, that very young church in Corinth, had begun to spread like a cancer. It was the idea that people were valuable because of how much stuff they had or how impressive they were, how impressive their gifts were. And one of the ways that shows up in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is addressing it, one of the ways that idea showed up was that these people that he had loved and cared for began to minimize him. They began to minimize him. That's what's in the background if you ever read through 1 Corinthians. One of the things that's going on. They had started to become impressed with other teachers. And they had realized as they encountered these other teachers that Paul really wasn't a dynamic speaker. This other people was, other person was way more inspiring. And that Paul really wasn't spiritual enough or religious enough for them. This other guy is way more rigorous. He, 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 he does way more obvious religious stuff. They seem way more spiritual. Teachers that were smarter and stronger. Imagine that. Imagine that sense of betrayal and, and rejection. Paul had been with these people for a year and a half. He poured his life into them. He leaves town and they're quickly like, I got it. No. He wasn't spiritual enough. He was not enough. They passed verdicts on him of rejection. That he wasn't smart enough. He's not a spiritual enough. He's not enough. That's what's going on in the background of 1 Corinthians. Friends, we walk in and out of courtrooms every day where we're being judged. I've already talked about that and how it feels, but it's not just a feeling. We are being judged. I don't want to be, you know, Debbie Downer or whatever. What's the guy version of Debbie Downer? Is there one? I don't know. I don't want to be Debbie Downer or Dan, the president Dan or whatever. I mean, that, that's terrible. But we are being judged. We're judged by people we don't know. We're judged by people we know well. 
We're judged by even family. And these verdicts can weigh so heavily on our shoulders. They can weigh so heavily on our hearts. They can become definitive for how we think about ourselves. And the way we choose to live our life in this world, especially verdicts from family. Comments made by parents when kids are children. Or how kids are treated. Those things can become so formative and cast such a long shadow. We can live entire lives trying to change the verdicts of other people. Verdicts that rise and fall and are fickle. But notice what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 4, verse 3. He says what? I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. That's not to say he did not feel that betrayal, <laughs> that sense of rejection. But he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. How can he say this? Because Paul has realized that a life lived on the verdicts of others is one that will wear him out and wear him down. He's opted out. He has realized the truth that's true for us this morning. We cannot live lives of flourishing and thriving built on the verdicts of other people. We can't because they're fickle. The verdicts that are passed on us by other people, whether they're folks we know well, whether they're folks we don't know of at all, they rise and they fall on things we often cannot even control. Now that's not to say that the goal is to get to a place where you're stoic and unmoved, where you're not impacted by others. That's not the goal. Words matter. It's okay if a kind word is encouraging to your heart. In fact, I think one of the reasons that human beings have the ability to communicate is to recognize the goodness that God has created in others and affirm it. It's doing what God did in Genesis chapter 1, saying this is good. That's the proper use of language. But what I'm saying is the goal is not to get in the place where we're not impacted, but we cannot wear people's opinions as verdicts. We cannot live under those verdicts and build our lives on them, if we do, we'll be used up. But there's an even more malicious courtroom that I think we move in and out of, and this is our second section, the courtroom of our own hearts. I saw a commercial recently, again, that I'd seen for the first time a few years ago. It was um, released, oddly enough, by Dove, the soap company. And I'm a Dove user. I'm not paid to say that, but I do love Dove's products. Um, anyway, but it was a commercial by Dove and they had a number of people come in. And they're in this room, and there's this man standing there, and he's got an easel in front of him and a pad. And the folks come in, and they're asked to describe themselves to this man in the room. So he says, what do your eyes look like? What does your nose look like? What does your forehead look like? And so they're describing how they look to this man. And what he does is he's drawing like a police, you know, God wants you to please drawing a, a sketch. He's drawing what they describe. He's drawing what they describe themselves as looking at. Then they have other people come in and interact with that person. And those other people then talk to the artist and describe that person. So you had two pictures side by side. One was the person describing themselves and their facial features. And one was other people describing them. 
And the end of the commercial, they showed the people the picture they described and the picture that other people described side by side. In every single case, the picture described by the person about themselves looked off. Things were distorted. And it was stuff they didn't like about their face. If they had a larger nose or they thought they had a larger nose, they, they described it as massive. They thought their eyes were spaced like too closely or too far away. It was, it was way off from reality. And the picture of other people describing them was way closer to what they actually looked like. In every single case, the picture described by the person looked off. People were unable to see themselves correctly and describe who they were correctly. People were living with a picture in their minds about themselves that was disfigured and not true. For whatever reason, they were unable to give an accurate description of what they were. That commercial was a hit when it came out. It's, it, you can find it on YouTube. Um, millions and millions of views. And I think one of the reasons it struck a nerve with people is because it hits something that I think we know well, but we're kind of scared to admit that we live under verdicts that we pass on ourselves, but we are not always reliable judges. We live on verdicts that we pass about ourselves, but we're not always reliable judges. That's what Paul's talking about here in verses 3 and 4. He says, not only does he not care if he's judged by others, what does he say? I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. How many of us walk around condemning ourselves constantly? And I'm not just talking about walking into a room with an artist and we describe our eyes too big or too small or whatever. We walk around condemning ourselves about the way we look, yes, but about how you talk about yourself to yourself. Have you ever kind of monitored your self-talk? You mess up. Maybe you've got a little... Right? You know what I'm talking about. I, I may be telling on myself here, but I don't think I'm alone. When I embarrass myself, as small as things as like when I, if I'm walking down the sidewalk and I trip and people see me and they giggle, like, that's ruins two weeks of my life right there. That's all I'm going to be thinking about. When I misspeak or when I get laughed at. Or even deeper, when I really do mess up. When I really do mess up. When I mistreat people. When I do wrong things and I know it. That's not to say we shouldn't feel guilty when we do wrong things. I think that's the response of our conscience when we do wrong. But does that then turn to just abject condemnation? Do I then veer off into a world as if Jesus does not exist and what he has accomplished for me does not exist? Yes. But we don't always have that problem, do we? Sometimes it's not that we overreact, overreact to what we've done. Sometimes it's that we overlook how we've mistreated others and ourselves. Sometimes it's that we have done wrong, but our conscience is clear and we aren't bothered by it. In both of these, we learn something. We are not reliable judges. We're not. That doesn't mean don't listen to your conscience, but it is to say that just like you cannot build a life living under the verdicts of other people passed on you, you cannot build a life on the verdict of your own heart, on yourself. 
But what can we do? How can we live? Well, the invitation this morning is for us to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live under the verdict of God. And that brings me to my last section here, the courtroom of God. Paul writes at the end of verse 4, what? It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord who judges me. But what does that mean? It means this. Paul doesn't have to live under the shifting and unreliable verdicts of other people or his own heart. He can live under the verdict of God. Now that might seem like a scary thing at first, right? But it means this. To live by faith in what God has accomplished in Jesus. To live under the verdict of Jesus. Think about it. In his life, Jesus lived a righteous life. He didn't mistreat people. He didn't use people. He did not give in to temptation. And what happened? He was subjected to the injustice of his cross. The light of the world comes into the world. The only perfect man that's ever lived in this collusion of religious and political leaders go, we got to stop this. We got to stop this. Whatever it is, we got to stop it. He was subjected to the injustice of, of the cross. He was put to death. And three days later, he was resurrected. And that resurrection was God's judgment on him. This is the righteous one. Sin and death cannot hold him. That was the verdict passed on Jesus. And Scripture tells us that the injustice of the crucifixion of Jesus was where God visited true justice and wrath against our sin. That Jesus willingly took on the punishment that sin, sin deserves so that God could truly and with justice deal with our selfishness and our sin by removing our sin from us and placing it on Jesus. And that frees us from condemnation. It means that for those of us who come to Jesus by faith, there is zero wrath awaiting you. There is zero anger of God awaiting you. Zero justice left to be poured out on your head. You do not have to fear a coming judgment day where you'll have to give an account of everything you've ever thought, said, or done as if you were going to be visited with justice on that. Jesus has stood in to take that from you. There's zero wrath awaiting you. That means we are forgiven. We are truly forgiven. And there are no ifs here. And if that was it, if we were just forgiven of sin, that would be great news. That would be the best news in the world. But here's the amazing thing. As we read in Romans 3, that's not the end of the story. It's not just that we suddenly have a slate that's wiped clean. Like we had this incredible millions of dollars negative balance in the account. And all of a sudden now we're back at zero. And now we can build a life. We can build a positive balance into our account. That's not it. Jesus wore the judgment against our sin. He frees us from condemnation. And in turn, He gives us His righteousness. The life that Jesus lived, that we could not, that righteous life before God, He turns and He gives us the credit for. That's what justification means. Jesus, the vindicated righteous one, vindicated by God in His resurrection, stands and we stand with Him. Or He stands with us. He lifts us up and we are counted in Him. We get the credit for His righteousness. He lived a life of sinlessness. He did not mistreat others. He did not disregard. He did not give into the temptations that we do. 
And he gives us the credit for that. So we are declared righteous in God's sight because of the righteousness of Jesus, righteousness of Jesus credited to us and received by faith. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we have to figure out steps one, two, three to access. It's given to us as a gift. And we stand today living under the verdict of righteous from God. And that's somewhere we can build our life. And that means that the verdicts of the courtrooms of others and the courtrooms of our own hearts are gutted of their power. We wear those verdicts around like weights on our shoulders. But the gospel is an invitation to step out from under the weight of those verdicts and to live under the verdict of Jesus. To know, to know, I am assured, I am assured beyond the fickle courtrooms of others, the unreliable courtroom of my own heart, I am assured that I am loved, period. In fact, I, I'm going to stop saying I, I hate when preachers do this because I do it every two weeks. We're going to say some stuff together at the moment, okay? And I, it might feel a little bit corny, but this... This is transformative good news, guys. You are loved in Christ, period. Let's say that together. I am loved. I am loved. You don't have to earn that. You did nothing to receive it. God has sought you out in love. You are completely forgiven. I know that I don't know 95% of the sins that you've committed, the sins of your heart, the mixed motives that you walk around in, but God does. And what does He declare? What did we have declared over us in the assurance of pardon earlier in the service that in Christ we are forgiven? Say that, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. The worst thing you've ever done? Coming to Christ by faith, you are forgiven. Your sins are removed. God describes it in the Old Testament as Him taking those sins and tossing them in to the bottom of the sea. You have been gifted in Christ His perfect righteousness. There is nothing you need to do to add to that righteousness. It is given to you as a gift. You are righteous. Let's say that together. I am righteous. I am righteous. It's given to you apart from anything you've ever done. You are who God says you are. And every opinion in this world of others, the opinion of your own hearts, has to reckon with that. It has to come to terms with that. You are who God says you are. We are now connected in Christ to an inexhaustible fountain of worthiness and goodness. And in this, we can truly rest. We can rest. Not confident in the size of our faith, because sometimes our faith is going to feel so small, but confident in the object of our faith, the person who we've placed our faith in. In. It's not our strength, it's His. And we can live under this verdict. And living under this verdict, you are free. You are free. You are free to disappoint others. Not to treat them wrongly, but you are free to come out from under the verdicts of other people. To wear the verdict of Jesus. You are free to disappoint other people. And this is true... If, no matter what your age is, it's true of kids, it's true of the elderly. If you're a kid in here, you are not your grades. 
You are not the names you've been called. You are not the brand of clothes you have. You're not the number of friends you have. You are who God says you are. You are loved. And you don't have to wonder about that. You don't have to let the opinions of other people determine who you are. This is true if you're in college or just out of college or whatever. You aren't your major. You aren't your job. You aren't how fast your student loans get paid off or how much money you make. If you're single, you're, you're not your relationship status. If you're married, you are not the mistakes and the failures of your partner. You're also not their successes. You are who God says you are. Period. If you're parents, you are not your imperfect parenting. You're righteous in God's sight by faith. And no one can ever take that away from you. It is yours because God says it is yours. So friends, cheer up this morning. I'm going to quote one of my favorite preachers. Passed away a number of years ago. Cheer up. You are far more sinful and flawed in yourself than you realize. Cheer up. You are far more sinful and flawed in yourself than you realize. But in Jesus, you are far more loved and accepted than you can ever dream. That's the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this good news. I thank you, God. That in this world where we carry around the verdicts of others and the verdicts of our own heart on our shoulders like weights, that you free us from that. You gut those of their power and you invite us to live under the verdict of Jesus. And in Jesus, we are righteous in your sight. In Jesus, we are loved, period. There's nothing we have to do. There's no uh, hurdle we have to jump over. No tricks we have to perform to make you see us. That you've sought us out to free us. Seal this to our hearts now. As we come to the Lord's table. As we feed in faith on the nourishment of who Jesus is. And who you say we are. It's in his name we pray. Amen.